It's time to start the podcast. It's time to hit the mics. It's time to start the podcast with Moon, P. Jug, and Hob. This is episode 31 of Moon, P. Jug, and Hobbs. No way. Or is it 32? I'd have to go back and look. If you don't have the Moon, P. Jug, and Hobbs app, I don't think you'll ever get it because I don't know that there is. <laughs> I was going to say, do we have an app? If you go to Moon, <laughs> Moon, P. Jug, and Hobbs, spell it all out. Here it comes. M-O-O-N-P-J-U-G-G-A-N-D-H-O-B-B-S, Moon, P. Jug, and Hobbs. Dot com. Oh, I'm getting a message from Wells Fargo. Long story there. P-Jug is here. Hey, P-Jug. Hey, P-Jug here. Uh, and, and But then Hobbs is on assignment. Okay, Hobbs is not here. There was a few weeks ago that P-Jug was on assignment. Today, Hobbs is gone. Uh, and we started thinking about, well, who could we have on? And there's been one person that's been a consistent mention on this podcast, and that's Tiffany Norton. And we're thinking, well, we've heard of her. I mean, doesn't she do stand-up? <laughs> haven't we seen her at, at, at doing stand-up? And, and haven't we seen some of her online projects? And I'm thinking, who the hell needs Hobbs when we can get Tiffany Norton? I think My it should Lord. be Tiffany Norton, P-Jug, and Hobbs. <laughs> <laughs> I like yeah. where this is going. I like all of where this is going. Tomorrow, oh, well, this is I'm not going to air, so I'm not going to be plugging stuff. There's many times I'll say, guess what's coming up this weekend? And then we don't use that podcast for a couple of weeks, and, and then, none of it makes any sense. There's people showing up to see Tiffany doing stand-up, yeah. and there's yeah. just an empty venue, and they're thinking, well, yeah. shit, what happened? It was two weeks ago. Yeah, you plugged, nice. you plugged the debut of Titanic last week, and it's like, no, that, that's uh, out for a minute. Tell us, where were you born uh, at what time, what was your baby weight? You know, give us the whole start to finish. Cause we got a lot of time to fill. I was born in St. Paul, Minnesota at uh St. John's hospital. It's not here anymore. I think I was about seven pounds. I know I was late because my mother won't let me forget. And I live in downtown St. Paul. Now there was that meme that went around for a while. They're like, post how far away you live from the place you were born. And I'm literally not even 12 blocks from where I was born. Wow. That's right crazy. now. I mean, I've lived other places, but right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know whether I was born in a hospital, to be honest with you. What were the options in Nebraska? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was totally a major. Yeah, and it had a big N on it, a big logo, a Nebraska manger. I remember uh, a birthing story. Uh, about Nebraska, if we could go there for just a second. I know we're kind of veering right and left today. But when my first son, uh, Jeremy, was born, I was on the radio. It was 7, 18 a.m. in the morning. And I had been told by the doctors when I was with my first wife, you know, when will the baby be born? And he said, it's going to be, it could be a really potentially a long day. Okay. And I'm thinking, okay, my shift at the radio station is from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. Right. And so I start the morning show at 718. I get a call. They said, you got about 10 minutes to get here. Oh, no. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. So I call Bill Boyd. He was a guy that was also an employee at the radio station. I said, my wife's having a kid. I got to leave like right now. Can you please, please fill in for me? 
as I'm pulling out, Bill Boyd's driving in. And as he gets out of his car, I notice he's wearing no pants. He didn't even take the time to put pants on. He, he came what? right to the radio station. And I'm driving out. I wave at him in his underwear and off I go. And I remember the hospital that my son was born in had two rooms for, you know, more extreme uh, issues. One was a surgical room. One was a maternity room. I had a cigarette fully lit and I walked in knowing that she was going to give birth at any moment. And I'm in a hurry and I went into the wrong room and guess what? There was a surgical patient on the table with his guts flopped out. Oh, my God. Which isn't that sterile, I wouldn't think. No. So the guy then says to me, oh, Wells Fargo, call it again. We'll get back to that here in a minute. Uh, so anyway, the guy with the mask and the surgical gown <laughs> then says, guess what? You need to leave. And, uh, and then he points to the maternity room. So that was my uh, my story there. So let's go back. Okay, so uh, here's So I, told, I talked about the hospital of where I was born, and that turned into a story about you smoking. <laughs> <laughs> and a guy with his guts flopped up. Flopped. Uh, what does that mean, flopped up? Well, the, you know, they're laying on top of his body cavity. Oh, they were sure. doing like the intestines in that? I don't know what they were working on. I've never seen the inside of a human, except like in science class when we had like the cadaver. What was it? A plastic cadaver? You could see all the tubes and. Or was yeah. it really a frog? You know, I also did not like doing anything with those damn dead frogs. They stunk. It was my first experience with formaldehyde. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Next not week, you want to talk about formaldehyde? Yes. <laughs> okay. Let me tell you. I and I know this is another story that I'm bringing in from outer space. Okay. I was listening uh, to the television news and clicking around on the web, and I see on StarTribune.com that there is a, an app developer, and he wanted to do his part into bringing uh, people more joy to their lives. And he's thinking, you know, how can people remember that life is precious, life is sweet, life is short? And you need to actually enjoy every moment that you can in your life and, and surround yourself with those you love. Sure. And, and the people that make you laugh and, and they lift you up and they make you feel better. Oh, and yeah. so how is he going to do oh, this? Yeah. So then this guy who will be our guest next week came up with an app along with a partner who's a code person. And uh, they came up with an app that's named We croak okay like like a frog that we were talking okay. about a moment ago we croak uh, and we do we all pass away we all die we stop living uh our heart is no longer functioning there's no brain waves we begin oh, to learn to remind us does it squirt us with formaldehyde in the face so we remember no. science class or no, but that's not a bad idea. We could no, do that ourselves. Get the olfactory system cooking. You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> here's what We Croak the app does. We Croak the app will five times a day randomly send you a message reminding you that you're going to die. Ah, oh, In that sounds fun. I can't wait till next week. You don't have to. You don't need a special service for that. You just have to stop blocking my messages. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, you think about it, uh, it does remind you that, oh my God, yeah, at some point, you know, my time is up. This, the is, not, sand- this is not good for anybody who occasionally suffers from depression. I mean, this <laughs> is not a really yeah. good I mean, I'm just saying, like, in a moment of optimism, I might buy into this. And then, like, a bad set on comedy and, like, in comedy later, I I don't get something that I auditioned for. And they're like, you know, you're going to die. Yeah. Yeah, The guy's name is Hansa. And and he's got a podcast. Maybe I'll try to figure out what the podcast is. WeCroak.com. Oh my God, he's really still looking at it. Okay, PJ, do you have any questions for me? <laughs> <laughs> Check this yeah. out. This guy's podcast, it, it, it's very weird. And he's, I mean, when I listen to it, it is just really so dark. Okay. Uh, there's a woman that is talking in his last podcast about, you know, people that have good reasons to end their lives in medical states that allow it. Sure. I think we're, isn't it Washington? I know Washington's one of them. I saw a documentary about it. Well, they say you have to be six months out. If you're six months out, then you can do it. And I think you have to self-administer. I think it, you can't, I, I, there's, I mean, there's, there's rules about it, but I think in certain States you have to self-administer the, the stuff you can't, it can't be someone else. It can't be assisted. It has to be your, your decision, even mm-hmm. up to the last moment, you have to ingest it. Next week, we're going to get into all this. Weekcroak.com slash podcast is how you get there. And he's got tons of guests. They must have been doing this a while. So good for them. Yeah. We're going to go all the way back to Tiffany Norton. At her, okay, now she's born. I am born. <laughs> After middle school, then she goes to high school. And uh, what high school was that at? We don't need to know your elementary or your middle school, but what was your high school? Hill Murray, which is a, a Catholic high school here in Maplewood. It's a hockey school. It is a hockey school. You took a training on how to be a cop, right? Yeah. My degree is from is in law enforcement. I graduated from Mankato State. Mm-hmm. So now we know she went to Hill Murray. Mm-hmm. She went to yeah. Mankato State. She got a degree in law enforcement. Yep. And as soon as uh, she did that, she thought, screw all that. I'm going to do something completely different. Yeah. <laughs> but it was also the you know early to mid 90s and the job market then wasn't great you know now everybody's like oh my god we can't even fill all the jobs that's never that was never a problem when i was a kid this is the first time i've ever in my lifetime experienced a problem where they can't find enough people it's usually like you either have a job or like you everyone you know doesn't have a job it's like so it's it's kind of weird when you think about it it's a problem I'm not a, I've never had before or noticed before. What I want to do before the end of the podcast is I want P Jug to go through the list of jobs that <laughs> she has had because here's the reason why. Every time in our lives that we're traveling together, we notice something and she will bring up, Oh, I used to do that. Yeah. See, she does do that. She's like, she's like my boyfriend, Brian. He's like, Oh yeah. Don't you remember when I told you that I worked at a tree farm? No, (laughs) you worked at a tree farm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's do it now. Let's do it now. What, what, what jobs have you had? Cause this is, this is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Can you think of just give us 15. Okay, I'll start as early as I can. Um, I was a car hop at A&W. One. And then I was a server waitress at the time at Perkins. Two. Then I worked at a clothing shop. Three. 
then I worked at Mr. Steak as a Mr. Server. Steak. Mr. Steak, do you remember Mr. I Steak? I totally remember Mr. Steak. My brother climbed under the table of a Mr. Steak and bit me. And then my dad took him in the bathroom and beat his ass <laughs> super well on the east side. Yes, I remember Mr. Steak. Okay. <laughs> That's four. Yes. I worked as a cocktail server um, at a bar. I mentioned the dress shop, I think, right? Yep. The dress shop. Um, I worked at a hospital in admitting. Six. I worked as a makeup artist. Seven. I worked um, as an esthetician Eight. and a massage therapist Nine. and a server again. Ten. And there's more to come. <laughs> I'm sure there's at least five or six more on top. What about that. the stockbroker thing? Oh, I worked at a stockbroker. Yes, I was. Yeah, I love was it. And then I accuse her of working at a neurology clinic because she's always trying to diagnose my brain. Uh, my father passed away in February, okay? Yes. And there was a family trust and a will and all that. Mm -hmm. And we're actually meeting, uh, I believe, in a couple of days with the lawyer to hopefully finish up some kind of a direction to settle his different accounts with investments, with his checking, life insurance. I mean, there's a lot to settling an yeah. estate. And it's a pain. And my brother got stuck as the executor. And, you know, you stop and think about my sister as well, because as my parents staged, my mom got uh, COPD and she needed a lot of help. And so my sister stayed and took care of them. And, uh, you know, then my dad is he aged as well. I mean, my sister finally, uh, you know, took some time for herself mm -hmm. and my sister needs a new car. And she's been wanting one for a long time. She has a 2003 Toyota Camry with 170,000 miles on it. It's uh -huh. a good car. It's for sure. sale right now, by the way, for 2,500 bucks. That's not bad for a Toyota either. Well, she did. She found one good. that had some hail damage on it, but that had all been repaired. Okay. Uh, and, and uh, you know, the car looks nice. It's got low miles. It was a little bit of a discount because of the hail and stuff like that. Well, she needs the car now, or she would really like it now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm thinking she can pay me back. I mean, I'm th this is just a paper transaction. Nothing is right. happening. I'm giving her right. that. And you're advancing right her the money, basically. You're covering yeah. it. You're advancing it. It's like a yeah. payday loan. I thought, well, I'll wire the money oh. to her mm -hmm. bank account. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that way, you know, I have, you know, security layers and I should be good. Sure. And so I got the account number, the routing number and the account number. Yep. And then I called the bank that I was going to be sending it to. Yep. And I said, I am reconfirming this account number as your routing number. Yep. And this is my sister's account. Mm -hmm. And are we cool? Can I send this? And they said, mm -hmm. yes, indeed. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. So then I type it in on Wells Fargo and they said, okay, to wire money, it's a $30 fee. Okay. I'm like, I'm cool with that. No problem. And I sent it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I told my sister, it may take a little while for you to get it. Well, it didn't come at all, right? Okay. And that was on uh, day one. And so I called Wells Fargo later that evening. And I'm like, there's still, you know, money in my account. And it's been almost, you know, a half a business day. So the money is still in your account. It yep. hasn't been transferred out. Hasn't okay. been transferred okay. out. Okay. So I can think of a reason why the transaction hasn't gone through because it is a monetary amount of over $10,000, which triggers the Patriot Act and you have to source the funds. And when someone wants to give another family member or do a wire transfer of more than 10 grand, that triggers um, certain bank safety 
features. And I don't, I don't know that that's what's happening, but I'm just keeping up with the story. And they said, well, our fraud department has detected this. Yeah. We will call you yep. shortly. You got triggered. And actually, I think you get triggered at more than, well, I shouldn't actually, I'm not supposed to say. <laughs> so then uh, the next day uh, I look and my money's still in the account okay. and I get up late. I call them and I'm like, Hey, uh, I really need to speak to someone. And well, you know, you'll have to have the fraud department call you. And I go, well, you said that yesterday. You noted that on my file yesterday. And here's the thing, uh, what happened then. They said, this thing is pending because it's pending. Okay. So now the car dealer's like, well, you know, do you want the car or do you want not want the car? Uh, we've already put a down payment on it. Uh, I called their finance manager. He was very good to work with. Uh, I said, you know, could have we just had me send the money to your bank? And they said, well, yes, we could. And I'm thinking, well, how is that kind of a wire transfer have anything to do? It's still over 10 grand. It should still be notified. Somebody should be notified that a large amount of money is traveling. They probably wouldn't take it though as a wire transfer and there would be legal documents for it. There would be, it would be you, it would be you acquiring something, right? Yeah. As opposed to handing $25,000 to someone. So it would be a little bit more logical of a, it's, it's just that, and I'm not saying they're right. I'm not saying they're wrong, but anytime it's over 10 grand, you're going to trigger those, you're going to trip those triggers and they're yes. gonna let they're gonna free it up and they're gonna let it go. First of all, it's it's within the, the United States. They're probably gonna ask her to provide some identification. They're probably gonna make you do some more identification to make sure this is what you intended to do. But next okay. time you want to give someone a large sum of money, give it to me. I'll give it to them. So I still need it to get to the dealership. The fraud department has yet to call me. We're three days deep now. Okay. So where's it at? Is she getting the car? Well, I just got an email while we've been talking that says my wire transfer has been canceled. There's a lot of ways you can handle it. And you know about that because right now you're in the banking industry, yep. but we've yet to find out about your screenplay. Oh, you, yeah. you've been working on that. What is that about? Because that's completely has nothing to do with criminal activity or banking. It has something to do with both. Honestly, really? in a very weird way, it actually does. And I hadn't framed it that way, but it actually, wow, I'm having an aha moment. Thank you. Moon. So tell us about how did you come up with the idea and when did this all pop? In like 2009, I started trying to write a screenplay and it was about a totally different thing than the screenplay is about, but I, I tried writing one and read books on it you know, other things came along. It was when I was in kind of that exploratory phase. I had been in mortgage and real estate up until the crash. And then when the crash happened, I had nothing. And that's when I started doing stand-up comedy. I started interning at a radio station in town called B96. And I started screwing around with the idea of the screenplay. Anyway, so full circle, I, uh, a couple months ago, I signed up. I'm like, you know, damn it. I've always, I love movies. It's one of my favorite things. I love to discuss it. I love to write. I'm going to take a screenwriting class. And so UCLA offers a, a, an extension program. And UCLA has an excellent screenwriting program. And for like 600 bucks for three credits, it's cheap. 
it's really, it's community college cheap. And you're getting people that actually work in LA and all of your professors have sold screenplays and legitimately know what they're talking about anyway. So I came across in my research a couple of years ago and I became fascinated with, because I have a transgender child. But before that, I was really interested in, um, there were several women that made history in the Old West, but they've never been highlighted because they were able to successfully pass as male during the Old West and basically live a man's life in a woman's body, you know? And the first instance I became aware of was this woman, Bridget, who lived in a lumberjack camp, like bunked with other lumberjacks for like six years before her true gender was discovered. So in my search of that, I came across the story of this real woman, Charlie Parkhurst. Her real name was Charlotte. She was born in New England. And she was, her and her sister were given up for adoption in the early 1800s. The mom and dad were alive. They just, too many mouths to feed, dropped them off at the orphanage. Charlie escaped. And when she, well, Charlotte at that time, when she escaped from the orphanage that was run by nuns, she stole boys clothing and decided to just be male presenting. Now, we don't know if this is her sexuality. We don't know if this is a choice or if it was just a, just a smart decision because she wanted freedom and didn't want to get hassled. And she ran off, met this man. This man um, raised him the entire, raised Charlie as his son, not knowing the true gender and taught uh, Charlie how to become a stagecoach driver. This will really bring a full circle. Charlie eventually makes her way to California during the 1949 gold rush, becomes a successful stagecoach driver. And one of the most famous stagecoach trips she ever took was she delivered a crate of gold for Wells Fargo. There were Indian incursions. There were bandits on the road. This is why it's taking me all this time to get my money to my sister. It's the damn stagecoach. They're taking it by stagecoach, Wells Fargo, (laughs) and and I'm screwed. Yes. Right. There's there's people attacking them on the way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's incursions right now. You got bandits, you got treacherous rains, you got, you got steep corners. I wonder if anybody ever saw road rage, you know, on one of those wagons. It was was all road rage in the old West. Have you not seen any Clint Eastwood movie ever? Have you never seen uh, Spaghetti Western? All Spaghetti Westerns, by the way, start with shadow, 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 vague music some kind of weird repetitive noise, either like a well or like a really slow turning windmill. And then bam, 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 bam. I don't like you. And they shoot, but and then they shoot him up anyway. So yeah, the, but the, the, the screenplay is about Charlie's life, but no one knew that Charlie was a woman female until she passed away. It wasn't until the doctor came and examined her body. Cause she died from tongue cancer. Cause she was a big drinker big uh uh smoker tobacco user and uh yeah and apparently she had had a child at some point and on her gravestone it says that she is the very first woman in america to vote for a president of the united states really oh is there a book out on her life uh there is a fictionalized account um about her there's a lot of wikis there's a lot of articles about her we only know spurts of her life she did not have any children that lived. The the one child that she they know that she did have, uh, uh, they say did not live very long. And so okay. there's huge periods. But basically, 
this young lady figured out how to go from an orphanage at like seven years old, went and lived with this guy outside of Boston, learned how to become a horseman and a stagecoach driver, went to Georgia, came back to New England, and then got on a boat from Boston. And in those days, you would go on a boat because the Panama Canal wasn't there. You'd go from Boston to Panama, and then you would have to cross the Isthmus of Panama by foot or horse. And then a ship would come and pick you on the other, pick you up on the other side, on the Pacific Ocean, and bring you to San Francisco. When the gold rush ended, I found this out in San Francisco. There was a rule. There were all these ships that were in the bay. And if you exploded your ship or sunk your ship and it landed in the bay, you got to claim that as land. So San Francisco, the city, is actually partially built up on old ships from the gold rush. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, so people would, because what happened was people were, they're sliding in and they're like, eh, I'm going to leave this thing here. I'm going to go gold pan. You know, I'm going to go make my fortune. They were driving it for someone else. They didn't care. He was captain. He didn't own the boat. None of the people on the boat owned the boat. They were just wanting to go make money. They would sink the ship. And if you sunk it and you could build on top of it, you owned that land. And so San Francisco, the, the coastline never looked like that. They've added onto it and added onto it. And underneath the city of San Francisco, there are still remains of old ships. I think that's how Wells Fargo's corporation uh, was formed. Oh, by the way, uh, I've yet to hear from the Cremation Society. You know what? You got to wait until the next, until we get the We Croak guy. I know. What about the Bitter Baker? Uh, Plug that. So I'm going to stay with doing the short videos of the Bitter Baker Live. But what I've been doing is, and my own live podcast like this baking live like straight live like no editing opposite of every cooking show oh really wow that's a big oh yeah and i screw it up a lot so but i was doing some test recipes so peewee will understand proportions that is a pan that is uh, 12 by 17 yeah it's huge that is a homemade pop tart that is nine and a half inches wide and 15 inches long. Can you sell that after the, you get done making it on the show? Or do you donate, you know, that kind of a pop tart to, you know, people wandering around in the tunnels down there in St. Paul or what? Is that what you think we do in St. Paul? We wander around tunnels. <laughs> <laughs> I used to bring them to the radio station. Uh, that's yeah. what I used to do. But that one, I cut into it, and I don't even like pop tarts really like that. I don't no. like that, and I, it's a strawberry filling, and I don't even really care. And I, honest, honest to God, I ate a third of it. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I do it. I, I'll, I, I bake a whole, I bake a whole recipe. But on November 11th, it's a Thursday, and then from seven till seven thirty, seven forty-five, I'll be making a one giant pop tart. Okay, you know what I mean? Like oh. it's like it's like Uncle Buck. Like when Uncle Buck made the huge breakfast for for Macaulay Culkin's birthday and the movie yeah. Uncle Buck. I'm gonna make you the largest pop tart you've ever seen. It's two whole containers of uh, pastry crust. Quick video update, P Jug. Uh, give us uh, your thoughts on Ted Lasso. Well, I'm only three episodes in, but I like it. Yeah, I'm getting Ted Lasso. Everybody talks about this. What's the hook? Who's Ted Lasso? Here's the setup, and this is why it's so awesome. 
Jason Sudeikis is really good. He was good on Saturday Night Live as a writer first, later a performer, and then he did Second City. He's done a lot of different things. Sure, sure. No, I know, I know exactly who he is. I know why there's buzz about it, but like, who is that character? Because I haven't seen it. Okay, imagine getting a divorce mm-hmm. from a man who cheated on you, and you're mm-hmm. very bitter, and you would do anything to make his soul hurt. Oh, you, oh, well, then I should watch this. Okay. Oh, yeah. You should watch it because no, it didn't happen to me, but I'll watch that. Okay. Here's the setup. Okay. So there's this woman, and she had that happen to her. They were both very wealthy, and mm-hmm. her husband owned a major soccer team in London, which is worth like an NFL team here. Mm-hmm. Big, mm-hmm. big money. What does she want in the divorce settlement? She only wants one thing. She wants the soccer team that he built from the ground oh, up. Well, this is the story of Major League. This is the this is the exact same plot of the movie Major League, pretty much. She hires a guy named Ted Lasso, who is a college football coach at a small college in Kansas. He has never seen a soccer game. Yep. Yep. So she hires this coach that knows nothing. And the next thing you know, it's really funny and it's good. That his character is probably the most likable character you're going to find on any oh, series. I hate it I mean, oh god! <laughs> you, you know I hate likable characters. You know I hated This Is Us. You know I hate likable characters. Why would you think I would like that? If you guys both say it's good, I'll try it. That's the end of episode thirty-one. Never a minute too soon. Tune in next week for a guy that knows about <laughs> death. On Moon, two juggernauts. That was wonderful. Bravo. I loved that. That was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Get him away. Hey, boo. Boo. Let's put this show out of its misery.